You know, for a long time, I meant to try Pete's coffee, but just never gave it a chance. But ever since I did, I have a hard time settling on anything less. And there's something to say about a coffee company with such rich history and devotion to bring you that perfect brew. Since Alfred Pete opened his first coffee bar in 1966, Pete's has selectively sourced the finest beans in the world, carefully calibrating each roast by hand and crafting each beverage with the utmost care. Pete's aims to produce fresh from the roaster's coffee delivered directly to your door, sourcing the top 1% of coffee beans, roasted by hand to unlock each bean's potential, and delivering it to you fresh to bring you the perfect cup. With over 30 flavor varieties in both gourmet coffees and teas, like Vietnam Lotus Bold, Major Dickinson's Blend, and Arabian Mocha Java, you are sure to find the right flavor to start your day. And they even come in K-Cups for those of you who live life on the go. Check out all the varieties of Pete's has to offer by following the link in the show notes below. And starting August 30th, you can take advantage of their Labor Day sale and get yourself 20% off anything on their site by using promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout. This offer is valid through September 5th. That's promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase this Labor Day. But why not do one better? Use promo code NEWSUB30 at checkout and you get yourself 30% off of a new subscription to Pete's Coffee. That's right. All the delicious coffee you could want delivered right to your door each and every month without you ever having to worry about running low. What more could you ever need? That's promo code NEWSUB30 for 30% off your subscription. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers. Tell all your grave robbing friends I want them out of the city now! The nightmare of insane murder. From the depths of hell. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Grindhouse, where we drink coffee and talk about movies. My name is Sean Tatro, and today with my girlfriend and co-host, Leah Diana, we will be winding back the reel to 1979. A psychopathic killer terrorizes a babysitter, then returns seven years later to menace her again in When a Stranger Calls. Let's get into it. On September evening, Dr. Malakis? Jill Johnson was babysitting for the two young children of a wealthy doctor. Okay. Bye. They told her where they would be and when they would be home. They told her everything she had to know, except what to do when a stranger calls. Hello? Have you checked the children? What? Hello, could you get me the police? Well, there's really nothing you can do about it down here. Uh, have you checked the children? He's watching me through the windows. 
her again that is the official synopsis according to imdb would you say that imdb is sometimes not a great source of information or even you know for experts on grammatical it can be run by clowns well it doesn't help that they they allow for user submission yeah it's sort of like wikipedia yeah, yeah. so it doesn't always have the greatest information <laughs> No, no, it does not. So this was your first viewing of When a Stranger Calls. It is, because I have never seen this movie or the remake. I have only heard about them. Well, this is probably most notoriously one of the big the big movies that was an inspiration for Scream. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see that now. Most specifically, the opening what was it 23 minutes that's what it says 23 minutes of this but i think it's it might be the opening 15 minutes of scream i don't know yeah. the exact runtime but what i think is funny is this is called the best 23 minutes of horror film history can you see why yeah i can actually see why because once that whole scene is over the movie gets really boring and reminds me of Death Wish. Yeah, that's it's kind of funny you say that. Why? Well, it didn't remind me of Death Wish so much. I, I get where you're coming from with that because mm. it essentially turns into like a. It's like a revenge film. Well, sort of, but it, it turns into like a procedural, like cop hunting a killer, yeah, kind of thing. But it rem started to remind me more of Maniac, which is another movie you haven't seen. I have seen the remake with Elijah Wood. I have not seen the original Maniac. But do you get where I'm coming from <laughs> yes. with that? Okay. Yep. I, I do get where you're coming from with it. I think this is a very interesting movie, and I think it, there's going to be some fun stuff to talk about with this one. Okay. You make fun of me, motherfucker? No, I just didn't know you were doing it. <laughs> So today, as we said, we watched When a Stranger Calls, which is a 1979 American psychological thriller written and directed by Fred Walton. The film famously stars Charles Durning, Carol Kane, Colleen Dewhurst, and Tony Beckley. This movie was originally released September 28, 1979. It was made on a budget of $1.5 million dollars. And ended up bringing in a box office of twenty-one point somewhere between twenty-one point four and twenty-five million. Damn! So this was quite the little success. Something I found interesting was that Tony Beckley, who played our killer yep, of the movie, our bad guy, 
He was terminally ill throughout this entire production. With what? I do not know what he was diagnosed with, but apparently the his illness caused him to lose a significant amount of weight. Mm. So he was extremely frail, which didn't which made him not really fit the physical description of the killer in the script. Uh, but he was a he was a, a close friend of the director. So the director absolutely refused to recast him. Mm. Unfortunately, Tony Beckley later passed away just after principal photography finished. And they actually ended up dedicating the sequel, When a Stranger Calls Back, to his memory. Oh. So this says here... That the cause of the death was given as cancer or a brain tumor, but it appeared mysteriously. According to his friend Sheila Hancock, it could have been AIDS because the disease was almost unknown back then. That's very because true. the way he was appearing follows the trend of what AIDS would have been back in the 80s or the 70s and 80s. So. Thank you! Okay. I personally have to say that like his performance throughout this movie is great. It's it's disturbingly terrifying. His voice alone is probably has become one of the most chilling voice. Just hearing voices in how film. he says, "Have you checked the children yet?" Oh, oh that fucking God. line! Just, Especially the first time you hear it. Yeah, you're like, oh, 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 you're uncomfortable the first time you hear it. Have you checked the children? Oh, but God. then he says it. A second time, and it goes from, oh, to, um, and then by the time he says it's the third time, you're sitting there going, don't fucking check those kids. Don't check those kids. Don't do it. They're already dead. Just fucking go. Run. No, 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 no. Well, it's kind of interesting because when you really, you think about that scene as it plays out. So at first it just seems like a menacing phone call, Mm. but- like the more the with how frequent the calls come in and like the more you hear him saying that it especially on a rewatch like like once you know what's ha- going to happen mm. watching it again you then realize like he's begging you to go up there so he can kill you too yep and you just keep it, it's so fucking eerie terrifying now, the thing about this movie, like like you said, it's notorious for these first 23 minutes, these mm-hmm. opening 23 minutes of the film. So it's essentially the first act. Um, if you were to break this into three acts, you have the opening, uh, this notorious opening, followed by the second act, which is basically a cat and mouse between the detective and the killer, mm-hmm. and then... Sort of cat and mouse. I use that term loosely. And then the third act is the big finale. So, this movie is famous for the opening. After that, most people don't really like the way the movie goes. Mm. And I can understand why. This, it's so much so that when they remade this movie in 2006... The entire movie is the opening scene of this version. And the opening scene of this has been featured on 
so many shows. Yeah. Just the the countdown for Shutter, and I believe it's in In Search of Darkness. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know which number it is. We've only seen I, number one. I think it was in the first one. It had to have been because we have two and three, and we ha- we haven't committed to it because each one is like four and a half to five hours long. Yeah. The first one took two days for us to watch because we're like, oh, we'll start it at night, and then we're like, we gotta go to bed. We still have like two hours left to this. Yeah. Like shit. Um. um yeah. No, the so like when they remade the movie, essentially they took that opening twenty three minutes and they fleshed it out into a full hour and a half. I will be honest, having watched this, having known what those first like twenty minutes are, and now having watched this, I think the idea of the remake is much better than this movie. In I like concept. it because because it is a movie that is a just fucking slow ass burn. That's all the yes. movie is. It's a slow burn. It's an adrenaline, edge-of-your-seat movie. But you haven't seen the remake. I have not seen the remake, no. In concept, you're correct. It's a much better idea. In execution, not so much. Look. It hurts. Look. <laughs> it's hindered a little bit. There are things about the remake I like. Uh, the guy that they got to play the killer in the remake is... A bit of an unexpected casting choice, and like he's somebody that I had seen in other things. And you were like, oh. And I was like, oh, that's a cool uh, choice of casting. Mm. But it doesn't, it's not as slow burn as you would like it to be. And it, like, it, it, it feels like a very early 2000s movie. Okay. I really, so I, I think we're going to talk a lot about this opening 23 minutes yeah uh before we get on get into like the rest of the movie mm-hmm. i think a lot of our focus is gonna stay here because it's the most prominent part of the film there's a reason why this first 20 minutes is called one of the best horror horror film like <sighs> moments like it's one of the best horror film moments in all of horror film history it is terrifying now it's dated because it's the 70s and there's so many things that you can go like the way the cop talks to her the way the people kind of like make like the way he makes her feel like oh you're being ridiculous i hate that but that's part of the charm of it that's actually a good thing good point that you bring up there this movie very obviously takes place in a vastly different time. Oh, God, yeah. So, like you said, the people talk to each other differently. Women are kind of looked down upon. The thing that grabbed me immediately and set me back into late 70s with this was the protagonist is meeting this family that she's babysitting for the for the first time yep. on the night that she's babysitting for them. Yes. That would never happen no. now. You have to go to a website. You have to get... the You as the babysitter has to get vetted, background checks, all of this shit. Back then, you just call Susie across the street, come watch your kids, you're going well, out. Babysitters in general aren't really used now. Most people just use family members or yeah. people they already know. Yeah. Most people aren't going to hire some rando off the streets. And usually when you're looking for a babysitter, you are looking for a teenage or either like like late teens, early 20s girl. You're looking for somebody who this is just a pickup job to help out. 
You're no. not looking for a nanny. You're not looking for somebody to watch your kids full time. You're looking for somebody. Basically, this back then was, oh, I just need you to watch the kids for a couple hours. That's it. Yeah. And you would professionally call around. Oh, hey, does Susie need like a couple extra bucks for like prom season? Oh, we're going to go out. Parents didn't go out like this all the time. No. And usually, like like growing up in the 70s, my mom is one of four. So her parents would have the older kids watch the younger kids. Like, because my mom's age gap between her and her younger sister and brother, a little bit bigger. She's closer in age to her older brother. Like, it's weird. I mean, the same thing with me. Like, I'm a decade older than my siblings. So growing up in the 90s, I would be the babysitter. I didn't get paid. I'd watch my brother and sister all the time. So it's not something like you can see the difference between back in the 70s, you just babysat kids. And then now it's like, well, I don't want a stranger here. I'll have my kid. I'll have somebody I know. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's just a sign of the times. Yeah, nowadays it's like, oh, I'm going to call my aunt to watch the kid or... Or if you were really poor back in the late, early 90s, um, you left your kid home alone and nobody cared. They were latchkey kids. Yep, I was a latchkey kid. I literally would walk home from kindergarten. Now, kindergarten was right behind my house. I went to school at um, a Catholic school for kindergarten. Yeah. Oh, no. Kindergarten was, uh, I went to a Catholic school, but it wasn't right behind my house. This bus would drop me off at home. I would go in the house. I learned, I knew how to peel the potatoes, put them on the stove, start them up at a certain time I knew that you had to take the food out of the the thing to put it on the counter so it would defrost a little more so when mom was ready to come home you'd make it I knew when my well my brother and sister weren't around way back when um, I knew I had to clean up I knew I had to start the laundry like I had chores at five and six that my nephew would never even bat it would, would think you're being retarded back that up my nephew would think you're being stupid for giving me these chores i had to do these chores every single day well to be fair your nephew's a spoiled kid sorry page <laughs> he, he's a little she knows he's spoiled, <laughs> she knows he's spoiled. <laughs> but like i was one of those latchkey kids we never locked the door we always answered the phone when people called it was a different era it was a different era i mean i was born in 85 so it's only six years away from this film Nowadays. Oh, I don't answer my phone. Door stays locked. Somebody comes around. The whole house goes dark. You pretend like you're dead. Yeah. I don't want people. I don't care. We live in an era now where everything is terrifying. Like the we, we shine so much light on the the dark corners of the world now. Like we we're constantly on the lookout for those who are trying to hurt us right like, that's literally day-to-day life now like, and it's awful we live in an okay area it's not the best but it's not the worst and we still have to worry about some strung out druggie going through our cars if they're hidden from sight um right before our neighbor's wedding the day before all of our cars got broken into yeah and it was a matter of our cars were hidden from the street. That's how they got in them. They were just looking for extra cash. I mean, there was plenty of equipment they could have stole out, stolen out of the car to sell. But they didn't touch Thankfully anything. they didn't. Um, like, I had stuff strewn on, a, on the, the, um, the lawn. It was literally just, like, 
uh, like smelly things from Bed Bath and Beyond for the fucking car, yeah. like car clings or whatever the fuck they're called. Our neighbor, just all of her trash was strewn all over her car. But it's shit like that where the person that did it, they finally caught them. They were just teenagers. They were looking for cash. That was it. They had gotten their a hold of a universal car opener, and that's how they got into everybody's cars. But it was only the cars that were hidden from the street. So if your car was on the street they didn't hit it but if it was hidden somewhere else they got it but it's stuff like that that back then you didn't lock your car you left your keys in the visor right like up until i was maybe about six or seven my parents had one of the cars that the keys were in the visor like it was no big deal you didn't lock your doors you didn't lock your cars my sister, until she had money stolen out of her car, would leave her purse and her car unlocked because she lived in the really nice area. Well, now the really nice area is getting hit with people getting their cars broken into the same time we did. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, they stole all the change out of my car, but that was it. Well. And I was like, you leave your purse in there unlocked. To be fair, if you have any measure of intelligence whatsoever, I'm not saying Paige is stupid, but. What I just tell you 20 minutes ago while we were watching a YouTube video. Yeah, I know. She is book smart. That but girl is not street smart. If you have any measure of intelligence, you're going to think about, oh, if somebody's, if if I'm a criminal, where am I going to go break into people's cars or houses? The poor part of town or the rich part of town? You're going to want to hit the rich part of town, but you got, <laughs> you've got the risks where this doesn't happen. Um... Our neighbors just got one too, and they're everywhere. You have ring cameras, surveil- yeah. home surveillance, not just like ADT or any of that shit. You've got these handmade kind of Google ring nest kind of situations yeah. where we have two friends who you walk in the house, you go, um, Alexa, turn on this light. Alexa, do this. Alexa, lock the front door. Alexa, do this. Like all technology. She can see, they can see what's going on in their house, anywhere they are. It doesn't matter. If they're on a cruise, well, that was the dog. That's fine. They're a very tech-savvy They couple. are, but, like, you would never imagine in this, like, that guy would have been caught instantly if there was a ring camera or if there were cameras everywhere because the people who own the place would have seen some dude broke in. Right. Like, I want to know, how the fuck did Duncan get in? That's a good question. That is and the it's one that's never answered. Like how there are a number of ways because the house had a lattice design to it. Yeah. So he could have climbed in. There could have been a window, but any way possible. But it shows the flaws of the thinking of, oh, we're safe. Nothing will happen. That's another vast difference that I want to point, point out between out this and this the other one. one. So in this original movie, there the house that she's babysitting at at the beginning it's just an average, not, it's a little bit upscale, but it's in a neighborhood surrounded by other, other houses. houses. Yeah. It's your everyday house, it, similar to the one we live in. Do you know what house it reminds me of? What? It reminds me of the Joan Benet Ramsey house. Because I don't it even has that, what that looks so like. it has like that lattice style of wood and the wood beams, and it has the plants. It's kind of dark. We watched the VHS copy, and yeah. it was kind of dark. But I think if we watched the Blu-ray, we'd see a little more detail. But to me, there was a clear path of how that person got in there. There was a window up there, and there was lattice work. And I'm like, that's how he got in. He literally climbed in the window. He waited for to see the parents downstairs, and he climbed in the window. Also, if he quote unquote ripped the children apart how did you not hear yeah that's a good question 
Um, but in the remake of this, the house is like a very modern, modern design, like architect style house that's like out in the middle of fucking nowhere. So like, there's a vast difference in when you set something off the beaten path, isolated, and in a neighborhood. Because personally, like, if a movie, if a story is set out isolated in the middle of nowhere, mm. that's generic horror movie to me. Yes. Like, that's like okay. So obviously, no help is coming. That kind. That's how that feeling is set. When you set it in. An everyday neighborhood. It in the middle of the New ho- York, in a nice area yeah. in New York City. It brings the horror home. Yeah, like it brings it much closer to where the viewer is has to go back home and be afraid that this could happen to them. Yeah, I think that was way smarter in this version. Personally, I it it brings it home because we live in a. We live in a suburban neighborhood outside of a major city. Yeah. We're not in the major city, but we're pretty... Pretty close. Like, it's this, which is the city, and then there's another city, and then Providence is right there. For about 10 minutes. 10 minutes from from the heart of Providence. 10 minutes. Other places that you think about, if you're 10 minutes from the heart of Houston or Dallas or Boston, you're still in Boston. Yeah. You're still in New York City. Like... 10 minutes away from Providence. Now, if you go 20 minutes away from Providence, you're in fucking Western Coventry. You are in the boonies. Rhode Island is such a weird place to live because you go from these big cities like Warwick, Coventry. No, not Coventry. So Warwick, Cranston, Pawtucket, Woonsocket. That's a huge city. Central Falls. And then 20 minutes away, you've got, you know, uh... South County, you've got Western Coventry, you got East Greenwich, you got West Greenwich. Like, it's the only state in the world where where Rhode Island is a weird state because a horror movie in this state, like, The Purge, one of The Purges was filmed in, like, Winsocket, Cumberland. It was the... I haven't seen all of them, so I don't uh, know. It was the, the really political-driven one. Oh, I forget which one. I think it's, like, number three or four. But that was filmed here. Rhode Island is a very terrifying place because you go 10 minutes away from the city and you're in the middle of nowhere. And then you got, like, Connecticut on one side of us, which that is where the remake would have taken place, is in the middle of nowhere in the woods. No one can hear you scream. You know, this movie could be set in this fucking house. That's how terrifying it is. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I just went on a tangent. Stupid. So, before we get too much further, I think we should shift over to the back of the box. Back of the box. The great big back of the box. Now, the version that we watched today, we have it on VHS. And we Um, watched from one of our premium tapes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And this is a, the Columbia... Pictures home video, well, Columbia TriStar home video release. It's that nice red border box. Oh, yeah. I got so lucky finding this one out thrifting. Oh, oh yeah. man. I love that I own this. <laughs> <laughs> so, with these releases, it's pretty, um, pretty universal that the back of the box is very simple. Mm. It's basically just stills from the movie 
and a description. We, we get no quotes attributed to anybody. None of that extra bullshit. We don't need that bullshit. We don't need it. The art sells itself. A terrified young babysitter and an increasingly ringing phone and whispered threats set the stage for one of the most suspenseful chillers ever filmed. Carol Kane stars as the babysitter who is tormented by a series of ominous phone calls until a compulsive cop, Charles Durning, is brought onto the scene to apprehend the psychotic killer. Several years later, however, the nightmare begins again when the madman returns to mercilessly haunt Kane, now a wife and mother, no longer a naive girl, though still terrified, but prepared. She moves boldly to thwart the maniac's attack in scenes that culminate in a nerve-shattering conclusion. 97 minutes, color. I take a few issues with yeah, that. Yeah, the description's kind of a lie. It 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 it's telling you who she is. She is a babysitter for for twenty minutes. This movie's over an hour and a half long. So twenty minutes of this are like the central part, and then she's not back until the last half of the movie. There's a whole big chunk where it's she's not about not her in, at all. She's not in the second act no, at all. At all. So, all right. Our protagonist for this movie, she's your standard meek, like simple, quiet girl. She's very reminiscent of like Laurie Strode mm. in Halloween, which this came out one year after that. I one believe. year, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I I took. I actually ended up by the time we see her again towards the end of the film mm. I actually had a lot of problems with her character so like at the beginning completely understood like this is this is our character this is our protagonist one of them mm-hmm. at least but by the end I had a really hard fucking time believing that she would even entertain the idea in the first place of going out and having a babysitter watch her kids after what she lived through. Yeah, that was a that was one of the big ones. I was like, wait a minute, hang on. Like, I understand it's been seven years. So, like, yeah, maybe she loosened up a little, but no. There's no fucking way. Especially if you live in the same place. She lives in the same state. Yeah. If she had moved halfway across the country, sure. Yeah. Alright, I would I would have believed it more. But no. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't believe for one second. Because it says that, oh, she uses her wits and she's strong. Do you so, see how she broke down? The description of this feels a little more like... So they're describing the opening of this movie, touching upon the second act, and then they're talking more about the second movie. Because I know she's more of, like, a prepared badass in the second one. I saw no bad... I mean, she was pretty... She was pretty together as the babysitter. But as the mother? No. She fucking fell apart. She did. You know what? Rightfully so. 
I mean, yeah, that's a lot of trauma right there. Like, oh, hey, the dude that, you know, tortured me when I was a child or a teenager, you know, he's back again. That is terrifying to think about. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you're sitting there going, no fucking way in hell is she leaving those kids. I really loved the sound design in this movie. When the suspense picked up, I can actually describe what that noise was. Does everybody listening know the THX noise that would happen at the beginning of Star Wars films? The that's the noise almost like it that plays when it gets suspenseful or something's picking up but then it continues with like this orchestra in the background and it is actually pretty fucking terrifying yeah the the sound design and the score both kind of work together really well especially Mm. during that opening 23 minutes yes they like the very first couple of scenes are actually very mundane Babysitter comes in, parents leave, she's hanging out alone. She talks to, I think, a friend on the phone for yeah. a little while. Trying to get a boy to call her, which I was like, yeah, that sounds like babysitter shit. And then there's that initial phone call. Mm. First time we hear him say, have you checked the children? Have you checked the children? No. <laughs> Why am I supposed to? So... The, the way they do the sound in this movie, they utilize the silence really well. Mm. And I think that's the aim with that is to like heighten that isolation that she is feeling. Mm. So she's alone in this house. Kids are asleep upstairs. This is a new place. She's never been here before. Um, they But they allow certain sounds to kind of grab your attention and consume you most notably the phone Mm. and it's interesting because Fred Walton the director actually made it a point to gradually increase the feeling of suspense by making each subsequent phone call ring a touch louder I was wondering if I was fucking crazy if I sat on the remote at one point because I get the remote because I'm fucking deaf, okay? And at one point I was like, oh, okay, this is a good volume. And the phone just kept getting louder and I just kept going, the fuck is happening? Well, his, his idea was that first time it's eerie and then it becomes jarring and then it's infuriating because he keeps calling and it, it almost like it brings you to this like point of like madness because mm. he's persistently calling again and again scolding her why haven't you checked the children why haven't you checked the children and like we said it's because he wants her to, to come up. up there yeah he's trying to lure her from the it's safety a, of downstairs to him it's so like and then like Afterwards, when you are getting because you never see anything in this movie, so when you're getting the description of what he did to the kids, oh my god, you're just like, oh, like that's what he was gonna do to you. Yep, (laughs) it is so fucked up. I love it. I could just at that point, if I was her and this dude was like. I wouldn't have had children. I would have been like, nope, too too afraid to have children. 
because this man's gonna try and find me and kill my children. Nope. Yeah, it, it's really weird. Like that, the decision that they made with her character, Jill's ca- Jill, Jill, right? Yeah. yeah. With Jill's character is very strange. Like it doesn't add up. It almost feels like two separate people. So I can answer that. Mental health back then was not, nobody looked at. It was not a thing you looked at. Look at this dude. He's obviously, was a lot of mental issues. They threw him in a psychiatric place where, describing what he was going through, they did shock therapy. They did electrotherapy. They gave him all these pills. They sedated him constantly. He was just a teddy bear while he was in psychiatric hold because he was drugged up as fuck. That was their idea to deal with mental health back then. So you're thinking this girl went through all this trauma. There was nothing, nobody to counsel her. None of that stuff that that they do now. Sure, they had like psychologists and all that stuff, but it's not what it is today. So in my mind, to her, okay, I've had trauma. I just need to put it past me and get going and just continue life because this is what society told me I have to do. I have to get married. I have to have children. I have to have a good job. I have to be successful and pass everything to them. If this happened to me as a teenager... You bet your ass, I am childless and I am living somewhere where no one can find me. So you actually you actually touch on something that I want to talk a little bit about. Okay. Because I found this extremely interesting. Now, this isn't the first time I've seen this movie, but this is the first time I've seen this movie with an analytical brain. Okay. So, like... I saw this when I was younger. Like, why am I not fucking surprised? Not a little kid, but like, what were you younger. like? Seven, eight? No, uh, probably like double digits somewhere. So like, ten. I don't know, but I I'd seen it in passing. Like, it, it was never a favorite movie, mm. and since most of the movie after the beginning is kind of dull, I can understand why. Yeah, but. Watching it this time, I found something very interesting about the like the whole second and third acts. Okay. So, the film is kind of attempting to deliver a, a unique viewpoint on like that slasher format, which was something very new at the time. Mm. Halloween's the movie that kind of, that really started that format. Yeah. So this was only a year later. Uh, there may have been a couple others around the same time because once Halloween was a success everybody tried to cash in on that yeah now the first act of this movie basic stalker home invasion style experience which it's one of the first yeah um, as we move into the second act it beco- it takes things in a new direction it starts to become more of a procedural thriller private detective suspense yeah tracking yeah. down a killer but what's more interesting about this part of the movie is that it also chooses to allow you to become familiar with who our killer is as a character rather than keeping him hidden away from us like unseen um like just this threat against our protagonist we are given him as a man, not just a monster. So we 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 start to see him as he's beginning to slide back into his old habits, mm-hmm. but we're learning about him as a person. So it, it kind of it 
And th this is why it reminded me of Maniac so much. It's because Maniac kind of puts you in the point of view, like the perspective. Well, the remake did literally puts you in the point of view. Yeah. But it puts you alongside the villain, yeah. the antagonist of the story. So this middle part of the movie does a similar thing. And it, like, it humanizes the killer in a way that most other movies don't even try to. Mm. So it's... You know, small way it kind of makes the opening and ending sequences more impactful because then you you understand the deranged mind that's at play in this, these situations. Now they said he was a fisherman, right? I honestly don't even remember. I think they said he was a fisherman, and one of the things that intrigued me about that was, as a fisherman, he would be like trapped or confined for a while yeah that's true uh, let's see yeah they had mentioned that he was a like a long haul fisher or some sort of fisherman that would make sense um to where it makes sense for the spiral that he goes down where he was like i'm hidden i'm alone i was never born and you start to like think like okay this person would be away on a fishing boat for a while no contact no other like people other than the people you were with so you kind of became invisible to your friends and family because you weren't around right i would like and i don't like sequels or prequels to stuff but i would like a little more knowledge on what why he acts the way he does like why the director or the writer feel like why was he a troubled human being? I would love to know that because that would give us more insight onto why he felt the need to rip apart a three and four year old. Yeah. I, so I find the direction that they took interesting, mm. but at the same time, it does eliminate some of the like fear of the unknown that I personally love so much. Like it, it's always more terrifying when you don't know what kind of madman is pulling the strings. Yeah. So, which the remake goes that direction. Yeah, but I think by the end you don't know shit about this guy. Still, like, and that's what makes that. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Scarier? 
in the opening, you don't know anything about this guy. He's very basically he's Billy he's from voice. Black Christmas. Yeah, he's just a voice. Yeah, That's all he is. And then in the second act, you learn a lot about him, and like you actually spend time with him. You almost like you almost start to feel bad for him. Yeah, you feel pity. But then all like, of a sudden he snaps and him going after Jill, it's like, why did you build up all this uh, all this character backstory and this juxtaposition for him to just slide back and become this horrifying monster again? I don't know. It's it's an weird. Interesting choice. Like I think it they maybe they were trying something different. They did. They found something different with those first twenty minutes. I will say, as someone who has just seen this movie for the first time, and the first twenty minutes were hyped up pretty big by a lot of big named people, I think this movie was kind of bad. As a whole, or as the last two acts, I think they could have, but it would have made the movie much shorter. I think yeah. that first, like twenty minutes could have been a sh- an amazing short film agreed and we didn't need the rest of it really the last 20 minutes could have been like its sequel the sequel to that story <laughs> that short film because i don't believe that carol king is a 17 year old girl when she's a babysitter because i know for a fact in this movie she was like 21 22 yeah it's like some people can get away with that oh okay you're 20 you're playing a teenager all right fine whatever but there's something about that woman because the first time I ever saw Carol King was in fucking Princess Bride. To me, I'm like, well, she's just a little old lady. I think she just, uh, she, her presence is very uh, experienced. Her like voice she, also takes me out of it, too. Yeah, because she has that, like, that it, it's wonderful, not a, like, hey, guy, how are you? Like, it's that not kind a of voice. Lisp, but it's like, she has this speech pattern that's very. It's interesting. I love it's it. different. But for this movie, no. I even think the person they got to play Tracy just really didn't put me in the seat of why is this man obsessed with her? I, I th- Well, I, that I can actually answer, I think. Okay. Um, I think he was gravitating towards her because she was isolating herself. Okay. She would go she was a woman that lived alone, was going out every night, drowning herself in booze. booze yeah. Alone. Like she would go to a, this little bar near her apartment and uh, drink. Near? I believe she walked ten miles to get this to this goddamn it's apartment. A movie. It, I don't think it was that far. Like what the fuck? She's in heels too. But I think that's why he felt like he wanted to be close to her because she was similar to him in mm. some way. I'd love to talk about the private investigator, i.e., I believe it was the detective. He was initially the detective that, on the case with the children. Yeah, and then he became a private investigator. Yeah, he said uh, when they did the time skip, he had left the force three and a half years ago. So it was like roughly four years after the kid thing with the kids. Yeah, and he's he'd never been the same after that case, and he just couldn't do it. Which I was like, yeah, if you're the person that has to go investigate a case where children were ripped to pieces. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> like, how? why did they put him in a psych ward? 
That man should have been thrown in maximum security and the key thrown away. Yeah, he. I don't it, know. It was a different time, it so maybe a little bit like a Haddonfield injection into a film. Oh, we put Michael Myers in a psychiatric ward because he killed his sister. Yeah, but even he was in like a maximum security. Yeah, type of psychiatric this didn't ward. Really look like it. It looked like a normal psych facility. Yeah. How did he fucking escape? Never told. We, we have no idea. I hate it when movies don't give me more info. I will always hate it. There's just a few questions I need. I need like five questions answered in this film for me to be happy. <laughs> One, I want to know a little bit about him prior, like maybe five minutes. How the fuck did you get in? Why the fuck did you put him in a, in a, like, I think they just even, a psych ward? I think they even asked that at one point. How, How did, did he, he get into yeah. the house? The, the cop. The cop asked the detective. We can't even figure out how he got in. And I'm like, for the lattice work in the front, guys, there's a window open in the first scene. I saw it. Oh, look. Boop, 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 boop. Oh, look, kids. Rip. Yay. Like, I mean. Do you think he was just trying to make confetti out of her? He saw it at a children's birthday party once and was like, pinatas! That's entrails, not candy. Gosh darn. Oh, God. Can you imagine if he saw the world through, like, a different perspective and ripping children open was like, God told me I have to kill the children. They're, they're plagues. They're menaces. Like, oh, he and his mind, like, had these glasses that, like, clouded him. Those are cop-out films, and I fucking hate those kind <laughs> of films. Like, oh well, it was it was the parent all along. Get the fuck out of here. Go. Go. No. No. <laughs> Although that dad was really fucking creepy in the beginning of the film. Mr. Melanakis. He's like, oh, there's no fat yogurt. Get out of here. You're not stopping the babysitter. Go. <laughs> Your kids are already dead, so it's not like you can corrupt them. Oh. So shall we get into the breakdown? Absolutely. So Jill Johnson is babysitting the children of Dr. Mandrakis. Not Melanakis. That's a whole different asshole. Melanakis. Andy Melanakis. Andy Melanakis? Yeah, Help he, me. He was a fucking, like, really foul-mouthed kid. He had his own show. <laughs> In, like, 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. What? Hang on. We're for a detour for a second. Who the hell is that? He was very famous for a little while. Oh my god, he's 50 years old. He's 50 years old now. When the children are asleep, Joe starts to receive telephone calls from a man who keeps asking her if she has checked the children. Joe initially dismisses the call as a practical joke. However, he keeps calling again and again. The calls increase in frequency and threat level and Jill becomes frightened she calls the police who tell her to try next time he calls try and keep him on the line long enough for them to trace the call mm -hmm. so she receives one final call from this harasser and immediately after the conversation the police call her back and inform her that the calls are coming from Inside, inside the, the house. house. Probably one of the most infamous lines in the movie. We've traced the call. It's coming, it's from, coming inside. from inside the house. So she immediately kind of freaks out. She see, starts to see one of the doors at the top of the stairs opening. 
Um, she sees the intruder's shadow. Um, and we later find out that this is his name is Kurt Duncan. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an English English merchant seaman. <laughs> seaman. Um, and he has he killed the children shortly after she arrived. So they have been dead this entire fucking time. Parents didn't know. Maybe the mom should have checked on her kids before she left. Oh, you'd think they would have, but no, they were rushing out. They were late. Absent parents. So the police arrive. There's a bit of a time skip here, um, where like she gets out the front door. Gotta be like an hour. Yeah, it has maybe to be a like half hour. Hour tops. Uh, he get she gets out the front door and the detect the we transition a pretty cool transition actually. She opens the door, screams, sees the detective, and it's the detective coming in later investigating the crime scene. It's yeah. like, well, I was like, hang on, they use that tactic a couple of times, which is actually kind of I like that. It was a it was a cool transition. I like it. And so we this is where we kind of, we learn a little bit about the killer, what he's done. And following this, we transition seven years later. Mm. And we learn that Duncan has escaped from his psychiatric facility. No no information on how. No, he, we just learned that he escaped. Who the fuck knows? And it's not like anybody else is looking for him. Nobody's actively looking for this man. He killed Literally two, no one. No one. He killed two kids seven years ago, and they're just like, oh, we got out. No one's trying to find him, so Dr. Mandrakis hires the detective who is now... Reti- uh, he retired from the force, but runs, like, a private investigation. Yeah, he's a PI. Uh, and so Dr. Mandrakis hires him to try and track this guy down because he's afraid that... They're gonna come... He's gonna he's, come after He's gonna him. come back. Yeah. Not knowing that this is happening, Duncan is... Basically, just wandering from since his escape. He, yeah, he's, he's homeless. He's, he's homeless. Just wandering. Uh, he finds himself at a bar where he meets Tracy. Now, there's an altercation here because he kind of—I don't even think he's doing it intentionally—but he ends up like harassing Tracy. Yeah. And another guy in the bar sees this happening and like beats the shit out of him. Oh God, yeah. And pours alcohol all over him. And, like, this guy is very clearly a hothead because he's even told at one point, like, stop it. Yeah, knock it off. And the guy, the bar owner tries to report a fight. And the guy's like, you're not reporting that. Yeah, he fucking hangs hangs the phone up on him. That would have solved everything right there if they would have just arrested him. Yeah. But no. After this uh, altercation, Duncan actually ends up following Tracy back to her apartment. And he kind of... Explains to her a little bit, like he's like that, that he's new in town, that he doesn't really have anywhere to go. And he she, says it several times too. Yeah, and she can definitely tell something's wrong and gets a bad vibe, but she kind of like shows him pity a little bit as well. Uh, she tries to be nice to him, but she's like trying to get him to leave, um, hoping that this is the last time she's ever going to see him. Meanwhile. Uh, the detective, his name's Clifford. Mm. He's not a big red dog, though. I was gonna say that it's a big red dog. 
uh, he's starting to become a little bit obsessed with trying to find Duncan. And he confides in one of his friends, who uh, Lieutenant Garber. Who was on scene yes, at he, the crime. He was on scene at the original crime. And he confides in him that his intention is that he's going to kill Duncan when he finds him. Because recommitting him is... He can always just get out again. Uh, Garber, who... Like we said, he was also at the original crime scene. He he agrees to... Collaborate in the sense that, like... If he learns anything, he'll tell Clifford about it. Mm. Uh, Clifford... This is, this is over a period of time, but, like, I'm gonna kind of let it abridge it because... We're basically for a while just like watching the investigation unfold and like Duncan kind of wandering. At one point, he takes refuge at a missionary uh, rescue where they give him food, a shower, and you just see him mentally break down. Yeah. And it was weird because he is just stark naked in front of a mirror, just, well, and he starts just crying. Yes, because this happens right after. So. During the investigation, Clifford talks to one of the other homeless guys that interacted with Duncan, and that guy kind of agrees to like give him a hand, like help him out. If I if I find out where he's going to be, I'll I'll let you know. In the context, oh, I have some money to give him, so you yeah. got to bring him to me so I can give him the money to him. And then he runs into that other homeless guy outside of the missionary, and the homeless guys try like calls him crazy something crazy uh, jay crazy jay and i think that in a way sparks his memory of what he did yeah he so, starts spiraling because he's like i can't trust you when he's looking in the mirror he's remembering the crime because we actually get a couple of flashes of him like covered in blood yeah you actually see kind of not a hundred percent what he did but it's the parts of the beginning of the movie that horror fans would be like i don't want to know this yeah honestly like i saw your face watching this and you were like, like i don't want to no, see, see this like you don't there's something about the mystery yes that's why i think in my opinion like freddie and jason and all of them are schlocky horror characters oh yeah like in their first movies they were great but as time went on they get schlockier like and we don't i don't mean schlock like a bad thing because to me when he and i talk about oh god we're gonna watch the schlockiest shit we want to watch the schlock we want to watch the crap stuff because sometimes the crap can be golden how many people have heard of and we're doing it this year sleepaway camp how many honestly have ever heard of that movie I've never heard of that movie till I watched In Search of Darkness. And I am obsessed with the fact that we're actually going to watch that because it seems terrifying. But it seems like the stuff that's campy, schlocky, terrifying doesn't get anywhere in the world other than in its niche horror place. There are so many horror movies that I'm like, oh my God, why haven't the world seen these films? You don't know anything about Sleepaway I Camp, I know nothing. All I know is the girl looks like a fucking animatronic character at one point. Let's keep it that way. Which is perfect. <laughs> but it's like that. Where I went in not knowing anything about this film except for the first 20 minutes. And that, knowing those first 20 minutes were amazing, kind of ruins and spoils, like a rotten kind of spoiling, the last two acts. Yeah. Um, so Clifford ends up tracking Duncan to 
Tracy's house. Uh, he very rudely <laughs> tells Tracy that Duncan's. Uh, he tells her about. Hang on. He very rudely tells Tracy about what Duncan did. About how he literally tore the Mandrit. About how he literally tore the Mandrakis children apart with his bare hands. And, like, this obviously causes Tracy to agree to act as bait at the bar. Mm. Uh, which I actually didn't, like, realize that's what he was asking her to do at first. I think, like, I my brain slipped away for a minute. But then when we saw her, like, saw her go to the bar and then the detective follow her back, I was like, oh, okay. It was, it was a sting. Duncan, unfortunately, never shows up. Uh... Clifford then, like, he leaves, but Duncan, turns out, was hiding inside Tracy's house. So creepy. He was hiding in a closet waiting for her, and we we were joking about how he was, like, he was, like, rummaging through her panties. <laughs> why, do you, why do you got these? Why do you got these? Hey, old? these are ones that are from 59. Why do you still have these granny panties? He's got fucking fringe on them. Are you kidding me? No, there's a shit stain <laughs> on this one. I'm sorry. Those are my period undies. What the fuck's a period undie? If it's gross, throw it out. No, you don't understand. They're comfortable, and I will kill you if you touch my panties. Kill you. So, well, uh. We're assholes. Yes, we are. What <laughs> <laughs> Tracy. Uh. When Tracy is left alone, Duncan makes himself known, um, and Tracy screams for help. Clifford hears this from outside. He comes running back in. Um, he chases Duncan from the scene, but he ends up losing his trail somewhere in downtown Los Angeles. Oh, that's supposed to be New York City. Nope. <laughs> Might be. So it's downtown L.A., which is, uh, no offense to anybody that lives in L.A., it is a cesspool, and I'm so sorry you live there. Now, from this point, we shift into Act 3. Yes. We are reintroduced to Jill. Who's Jill... Something. She's now married, has two children. Um, one night, her and her husband, Stephen. Stephen. Her son's, na- son's name is Stephen as well. I hate people that name their children after themselves. Hey, Sean. They, yeah. Sean. That means you hate yourself. I know. No, uh, that would be... That would mean I'd hate my dad, but I don't hate my dad. Like I just hate that he named me after himself. You just wish creativity was yeah. one of the things that they would have done when naming him. Yes. <laughs> uh, so they... They're going out to dinner to celebrate that he got a promotion at work. Um, their children are being babysat by a, a young woman named Sharon. Sharon. While they're at the restaurant, Jill gets a phone call. And the moment she hears Duncan's voice asking her again, have you checked the children? She fucking melts down. and She just becomes a screaming lunatic. She causes a huge uproar in the restaurant. She's like, it's, he's back, it's him. It's- he has my babies. And uh, so the police end up escorting her and Steven back to their house. They discover that everything's fine. The kids are all right. Um, once the police are involved, Garber ends up hearing about this and informs Clifford immediately. Mm-hmm. 
Clifford tries to call Jill, but he can't get a hold of her. Now, what happened? Did the power in the house go out, or did they cut the line? I think Duncan cut the line. Okay. So he couldn't get... Because the lights went out, too, at one point. Yeah. But I think he cut the phone line before then, because we saw Clifford trying to call, and it was busy. And he asked the operator, what does this mean? Like, oh, either the phone number's disconnected, or... You know, it's it's not in service. And like, what what do you mean it's not in service? Now we're getting towards the very end of this movie, which I'll draw attention to it once we get there. But I have a bit of a problem with it. So Ooh. Clifford, <laughs> Clifford's trying to call Jill, but the line is apparently dead, which um, he feels is like he, he feels isn't right. He, he's like. It's like a calling card. It feels like a little too close to that original case. Yep. So later that night, Jill is... She obviously can't sleep now because yeah. she knows this guy's out there. Her, She's afraid for her kids. So she goes in and checks on them in, in the night and she discovers that... Her son is holding is asleep, but he's holding a piece of candy. He's holding like um It's almost like a chocolate pop. Like a laffy taffy or some yeah. sort of thing on a stick. Like but, a cow tail. Yeah. But um she tries to ask him where he got it, but he's like He's too sleepy. He's sleepy. So she takes it from him. It worries her that he had this thing. And she goes back to her room where her husband's asleep. And she sits in bed, just kind of sitting there, staring around the room. She's very nervous. And then she starts to hear Duncan's voice calling to her from her closet. (laughs) She tries to awaken her husband, only to realize that the man laying next to her is not her husband. It's Duncan. And... (laughs) If we're ever robbed, that's the noise you need to make. Uh, uh, <laughs> take my wallet. Uh, uh. Duncan chases Ch- uh, Jill across the room. He attempts to kill her. But Clifford arrives just in the nick of time and shoots Duncan in the chest, killing him. Plot twist. Duncan and Clifford were in cahoots the whole time. This is my problem. The savior thing? Yes, because as far as we know... We have no idea where he physically was in space or time. <laughs> Yet he yeah. teleported there and saved her. Well, okay, there are a couple of context clues. One, Duncan picks the paper up off the street, recognizing Jill's photo in the paper. Yeah. She had got recognized for some fundraiser thing, and she had an article in the paper. Two, he was already trying to get in contact with her. Uh, Gerber was already trying to get in contact with Jill prior to any of this happening so we don't 100% know when he cut the line yeah so he could have already been on his way knowing that something was wrong so while I agree with you I don't like it it's not as bad and plot holy there are holes they're just not as big as as I think you you I think think. I think they should have they should have paced it out at least in the edit better to where like him trying to call her was sooner and then maybe just thrown in a shot of him driving 
So it's like you had that like Or trying bridge. to get a hold of his friend and his friend being like, I don't have any cops that can go over there. He's like, I'm trying to get there the f- as fast as I can. All right, we'll send somebody else too. Like, yeah, like anything. It, it, this is what I mean by directors and writers like cutting certain things out. What these, what these companies and what these directors cut out sometimes is exactly what us little people need for just a tiny bit of context, context clue. Yeah. It would have taken them Oh, granted, it probably would have taken him about an hour to do a scene, a five sec, a five or ten minutes second scene like that. But just adding that in would have made the set, the third act make more sense. The second act was just weird. I feel like the second act was filler. But the first act and the third act could have been fine if there were a couple more little, just a few answers to some questions. Yeah, that is it. Um. Anyway, after Duncan is taken out uh steven is found in the closet he's unconscious but alive the children are safe and that's where the movie ends but it ends on the camera panning out from the home with duncan's face just fading in the background yes like that menacing like because there's a face he makes when she flips the covers back and it looks primal and terrifying and i was like oh man I ever saw that man sleeping next to me, I would kick his ass. <laughs> well, thank you. But that's, in a nutshell, when a stranger calls. Technically, isn't anybody who calls you that doesn't know you a stranger calling? Yes. So this could be all a ploy about how terrible marketers are bad people and they'll kill you. Y- yeah. I mean... Duncan was a telemarketer working for the, we, we need to contact you in regarding to your car's extended warranty. That's all he wanted. That's it. That's all he wanted. <laughs> and the children were like, my parents don't want to talk to you. And he just killed them because he's like, fuck you and your car's extended warranty. I will get someone to buy this. That's all it was. That's it. Oh, God. We'll just turn this into a fucking comedy. No, no, no. It will be a horror movie. We just need to get a beloved comedian to play the bad guy like one hour photo was. Oh, God, no. <laughs> See, look, no. Nobody can... I've never seen one hour photo. Not many so. people can make that switch the way Robin Williams did. He was just a phenomenal actor. The demons in his head played very well with him that day. <sighs> no shit. <laughs> All right. Shall we shift into our closing questions? Yes. Did you have any favorites? I did not write any favorites down. Because that first 20-minute scene I knew would be my favorite. Yes. Yeah. That first 23 minutes is fucking amazing. And the worst part about it is the rest of the movie has nothing memorable. I disagree. Okay. There's one other moment that I wrote down because I loved it. Like, it was exactly what I wanted at the moment it happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was the phone call at the restaurant. Okay, all so right. So that moment where the waiter comes up and is like, oh, Mr. and Mrs., whatever the fuck their names were. Yeah. Telephone call for you. She's like, oh, it's probably just Sharon. I was like, she's going to walk to that phone. It's not Sharon. And she's going to hear, Bish why is- haven't you checked the children? Bish, that's and that's not ex- Sharon. And that's exactly what you get. And I was so fucking happy when it happened. And like watching her melt down. During like right after that, mm. it was great. Like, it was perfect. <sighs> eerie, extremely eerie. That's what I'd say. 
Do you feel you would... Regardless of the fact that there's a remake... Okay. Do you feel that you would have done anything differently? I would have extended the first act and extended the third act and gotten rid of the second act. Mostly because I would have... I would have shown what caused him to be like this. I would have shown him versus Jill, basically, in the beginning. I would show his journey in the psych ward and him getting out, but I wouldn't show the in-between stuff because it kept, it would keep up the mystery of who he is or what he is. Kind of like Mike Myers. Mike Myers doesn't fucking talk. Michael Myers. Oh, whatever. Mike Myers is a whole different person. Oh, he never shuts the fuck up. I'm sorry. Um, Michael Myers never talks, never says anything. You know nothing about him. The second act was, I knew too much about Duncan and I don't want to care about him. I want him to be the bad guy, not, oh, I feel sorry for him. So at the end, it's like, oh, he got shot. He's misunderstood. No, I don't want that in my brain. I think it was, while made for an interesting story, that's kind of why people are like, ah, after that first act, just turn it off. Basically. Yeah. How about you? I kind of agree. Um, I think think I love the first act and I think the remake did it right in taking that first act and act and making it the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I think what they could have done what they what I would probably do if like somebody said, "Hey, we want you to make when a stranger calls again." Mm-hmm. I would do exactly what the remake did, but then pitch it as, "All right, I want to do the first 23 minutes extended into an hour and a half and then I want to do a sequel that's the last 20 minutes mm-hmm. extended into an hour and a half. Yeah. Which I think you could do. I think there's enough like wiggle room within that to be able to bridge that gap. Like You could obviously tack on the extra information of like, oh, him breaking out of the facility and yeah. some other shit in between, but I think that's that would be pretty cool. I have I've never seen When a Stranger Calls Back, like the actual sequel to this. Mm. I've I've never seen it. I know very little about it. Well, you know what that means. I'm gonna have to do it next year. Maybe we shall see. We shall see. But is this mainstream exploitation or other? Ah, other. Explain. Oh, God. Why do you make me show my homework? Oh, I believe it was a great idea, but to make it exploitation, I can't pinpoint what it would be because there are too many elements in it. It is a horror. It is a thriller. It does have some, like, ticks in certain boxes, like a home invasion exploitation, a babysitter exploitation because surprisingly that really is a thing there's a lot of movies with babysitters tons but I don't think it's a solid exploitation so I'm going to say other you disagree don't you I don't disagree what I would I would absolutely classify this as other it is not exploitation 
No. It doesn't do anything to an exploitive level. But it, it tries to tick certain boxes. It's like, okay, here's this, here's a But it doesn't tick enough of them to make it. There's too many ticks in all these columns. I, I think it's just... It tries to be a thriller through and through. Mm. Like, it's not attempting to go over the top in any form or fashion. Yeah, I, I I don't think... And it's not mainstream enough. No. Like, barring the fact that it, it's... The opening scene is, like, super famous now. It's a cult famous. Yeah, it's not, like... To be know. fair, when I first started... When we first started dating, we talked about movies. There are certain horror movies, certain ex- um, exploitation movies that you know that are famous. Like, these films are famous for. These films are famous for. And knowing... When this one popped up with the Shutter thing, I was like, why? Why is... I looked at you, I'm like, why is this famous? And you're like, because it's the best 20 minutes uh, that inspired other films. Like, this inspired Scream, and you can see other films inspired by this, too. Other home invasion movies. Which is incredible, but it sucks when the original, no one knows. No one knows. Nobody knows this movie. You don't, you don't know this movie. I didn't know Carol King was in this. You think, when you think of Carol King, you think Princess Bride. You think, oh God. I mean, I think of this, but. That's the lady you think of. You don't think of this. I mean, I do. It's because you're a fucking nut job. uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You're a wackadoodle. I am. How you you should be with Duncan in the psych ward. <sighs> I think you'd enjoy the electroshock therapy. It's a little zingy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else you would like to discuss about when a stranger calls? No. I think we've covered it pretty well. I will say I wish that the first 20 minutes scared me like it's supposed to. It's hard because now. I saw this on other stuff. I didn't see yeah. this in the film first, so I knew what was coming. And I, this one, I was actually disappointed. I got bored in the second act. I was really, really disappointed because I wanted to like dedicate this a is, lot to it. Well, that's the problem. Like th- this movie is what everyone says it is. Like it's really good at the beginning. It's very slow and mundane during in the, the middle. middle. Ramps and up then a the, little at and the then end. the end is like bam it's done yeah. it was so fast I wanted a little more and I'm like wait a minute she was just in her kitchen getting water and now she's crying in the officer's arms what happened if you blink you're gonna miss the ending right it uh, I, I like the movie for what it is mm. I think it definitely is trying to do some interesting things not gonna be for everybody no nope but. If you want to see what inspired Scream, watch the first 20 minutes. Like, just seeing how Carol portrays Jill and how terrified she is, it's great. Oh, watch it on VHS, too. Oh, we got a really good transfer. We did get a really good transfer. There was one little in the beginning, and that was it. It was done. This was really good. Uh, This tape that we have is in very good shape. The guy that we get these tapes from, he puts little descriptions on the side. Like, this guy is amazing. Shout out to this dude. I don't know who he is. This one's actually not one of his. I thought it was from the writing on the other side. No, that's just a uh, Columbia TriStar sticker. What? 
Yeah. No, it confused me. Yeah, no, this is not one of his, surprisingly. I thought this was. Didn't we get it out of that bin? No, this one, I think I I don't remember where I picked this one up. This was not at our secret, secret, super secret safe place? No, this was somewhere else. Good God, was this a Goodwill? It might have been. Oh, wow. Goodwill's got some good shit, guys. Not Every now lie. and then. Every now and then we go into Goodwill and we're like, hey. <laughs> but I think that's going to wrap up our discussion on When a Stranger Calls. Don't go anywhere just yet. Please stay tuned for the coming attractions. Wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. spooky we're getting a little hairy uh, uh, so this is the first classic universal monster we're doing the wolf man i've never seen this but this is another one that was on the shutter list this is one of the original transformation films yes the the classic lon cheney performance of wolfman the one that everybody praises. I've seen this a couple of times. I have never seen it. I'm, I've never been a gigantic Universal fan. I like them for what they are. But the classic monster movies, I, I have to be in a mood for. Classic monster movies to me are, you've got to know where your roots are. And if you really want to explore the roots of certain films like An American Werewolf in London, like, you know, even Trick or Treat, 
you've got to go to the original. And I've always wanted to see Lon Chaney's performance because it's revered like Bella Lugosi's as one of the greatest transformation Wolfman films. Yeah. We have a bunch of them. I, I don't think we have any Bella Lugosi, unfortunately, but we have, we have Dracula. We have Dracula? Yeah. Why haven't we watched Dracula? I've never seen Dracula. You haven't picked it. Well, <laughs> we're picking it next, motherfucker. No. But I I've always liked the Universal Monsters. When I go to Universal Studios, I always watch the Universal Monsters do the Halloween performance and it was really cool. And the Wolfman and Dracula are my favorites, so do Wolfman. Cause I'm a nerd. I like dog. I like puppies. Come here, puppy. <laughs> I think this will be fun to to watch. Mm. Um, it's I don't know. It's always fun to kind of revisit the the classic black and white films. In my opinion. Mm. I think I think that's gonna do it for this episode. All right. Well, then, if you want to keep up on everything that we're doing, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grindhouse Cast. If Twitter's still active anymore, yeah. Does anybody it's use just, Twitter anymore? It's slowly fucking dying yeah, as Elon runs it into the ground. Thanks, Mister Mouse. You can find us on Discord, where you can mostly chat with Leah about <laughs> this film or any of the films that we previously covered. Uh, you can suggest us some movies that you might like us to cover on the podcast. We're always looking for suggestions. Always. Not that any of you listen or talk to us in any form. Hey, some people do. Do they? It... Does anybody care? <laughs> Let us know. My Honestly, mo- if you don't, I, I just will find it funny. My mom did say that she was listening to the Santa Claus the other day, and she gave me a look. She was like, so I'm watching, I'm listening to the Santa Claus. I'm like, is that the one where I talk about my trauma, and I'm, am I in trouble? That's what she. That's what I said, and she looks at me and goes, I'm halfway through. I'm like, get ready for the ending. <laughs> <laughs> All the links for everything are going to be down in the show notes. Listen to us first thing every Monday morning and give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your morning fix. If you like what we're doing and you want to show this show some support, you can subscribe over on Patreon or directly through Acast, where you can get yourself access to ad-free listening and unlock some fun exclusive bonus content that we will put more of up at some point when, you know, life allows. Until next week, I'm Sean. I'm Leah. Thanks for listening, and keep watching. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Have you checked the children? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.